Uh. Some of people's one time. What up, what up, what hey up? Guys. Hey, well, now. <laughs> you're rocking with us again. This is Across the Intersection podcast. We appreciate you tuning in this week. Um, I got a very special guest with me this time. Woohoo! Um, but this is the. Who might that be? Right. <laughs> other, than, uh, other than that special guest, it's the usual cast of characters. I'm in here with AJ, and I'm not in here with AJ. I am AJ. <laughs> I'm in here with Eve. I'm hey, say AJ. And I got my wife in here. Hey, what's up, people? We were having some technical difficulties with our human capital, with oh. our human resources. <laughs> we had a human resources issue, so. And I was voluntold to come come in today. <laughs> so, so I got my wife in here, so I'm I'm not gonna be able to cut up like usual. Um, but as always, please get us get us at get at us. Goodness, I'm having trouble today. Get at us. <laughs> Speaking. Somebody, I make you nervous, honey. Is that somebody, what it is? Maybe that's Uh-oh. what it is. My wife in this. I'm trying to be on my best behavior. Get a room. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be on my best behavior. Get at us on the social media. No, hit us up on Facebook, uh, Across the Intersection, and please follow us on Twitter, at Across This. Um, hopefully, by the time you hear this podcast, we'll be on iTunes and Google Play. So please search us, Across the intersection and subscribe please yes, subscribe. like and subscribe like and subscribe on if you got a uh, apple product go to itunes search across the intersection if you got android go to google play across the intersection and please subscribe to our podcast so anyway and as always you can hit us up personally on social media as well you know you can hit me up at divinimous d-i-v-e-n-o-m-o-u-s the more i say it the better i get at it and you could get uh-huh. me on E to the V to the E uh, over on Twitter. And at CN Williams 29. I'm the easiest one to remember out of all of them. <laughs> all things homeschool, all things, uh, right? Teaching, all things. I'm not going to, we're not going to mention the other joint, right? Just all things teaching, all things homeschool. She's there. She, she got you. All right. But anyway, so we're going to get into it this week. Um, it's been a, it's, it's been a wild week as it is most weeks, but. This week, at least the 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 wildness is not in the uh, political arena, right? A wild week here on planet Earth. On planet uh-huh. Earth. Um, so you know the the first big thing, and it's been a couple weeks simmering, um, and so it's had a chance to sort of set in and kind of come back to Earth. Um, but I wanted to rap about the the Jay Z effect. Yeah. You know, since four 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 um came out a couple weeks ago now, I guess what it came out um. Yeah, it's been a couple of weeks. Yeah, it's been a couple of weeks, right? I, I've actually, you know, I kind of tuned Jay out for a while because I wasn't really feeling the Magna Carta joint that he did a couple of years ago. I was like, eh. Um, and like most people, I fell to the, you know, notion that hip hop is a young man's sport. You know, even as a hip hop artist, you still just kind of fall into this, you know, notion that, all right, well, you know, Jay's almost 50, so maybe he's out of the game. Maybe he's just done. You know, he's running all these businesses. You know, he's running title and this, that, and the third. And so then he comes out with 444, and um, it's pretty, it's pretty good album. Pretty good. Um, yeah. And I'm not one to, you know, buy a whole lot of music anymore just because, you know, I just don't. Um, but please buy your music as an artist. I can tell y'all stop stealing music. <laughs> um but I listened to it and it sounded pretty good. It sounded pretty good. Um, and one of the things that it really made me realize is like other genres, I think hip hop needs to learn 
And I think probably because it's you know one of the youngest genres when you think about it. It hasn't been out as long as blues and R&B and rock and roll. Um, is that it needs to start making room for old heads. I think having old heads around is important. You know, like rock and roll, we were just talking about it before the show, how um, rock and roll, you had these dudes well into their 60s still touring. And they're not just touring. They are prancing on the stage, okay? I'm talking about (laughs) tight jeans, you know, and with the same amount of energy. You know, Steven Tyler is knocking on 70. You know, just because you went around the sun a few more times doesn't mean you don't still have the passion for your craft. So I think this is something that hip hop is going to have to learn. So this is why I was saying I'm learning to appreciate Jay a little bit more because I realize what he's doing. Um, obviously, he's trying to sell a product. I mean, let's not get it twisted. Jay Z's a he's All a businessman. <laughs> he's a businessman. <laughs> um, but he's also what I think he's doing is he's going to help a lot of old dudes who probably have begun to think like me. Like oh, I'm just I'm gonna sit on the sidelines. I might tour a little bit, but I'm not going to really try to do anything big. And I think what he's shown by releasing this project is that um, there there is space that needs to be made for old heads. Um, I don't even think they should be called old heads. I mean, I know that you know everybody has their own idea of uh, you know of how to approach it, but or you know what to call different generations in the same genre. But, um, you know, these guys are middle-aged guys. They're not even old. And, you know, and I... And I well, relatively speaking. Yeah, I know. Way, it's yeah. rel- You know, compared to an 18-year-old. Right. But, you know, these are people at different seasons of life. And, you know, they should be able to have content that reflects that. That's why I think it's, it, it, it's so important to have old heads around. Because the stuff he was talking about in the project, right? So he's talking about financial independence yep. and fidelity in his marriage and, you know... <clears throat> Cultural issues Cultural that impact issues, us. Yeah. yeah. So it's really, 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 um, it's really meaty. And that's, again, part of the reason why I did not like Jay-Z. I haven't listened to Jay-Z in a long time because content, you know, some people say, oh, it's hip hop. Who cares about content? You're just out here to have fun. Just like the 50 Cent beef with, uh, or the 50 Cent retort against 444 was just like, look, okay, we people just want to have a good time. You know, I, I would say that 50 Cent, uh, his maturity, his uh, development has been arrested. Uh, but that that's <laughs> his particular perspective. However, if you're going to have a beat knock and if you're going to have somebody spitting, you know, it's going to be fun anyway. Right. Might as well add some content there. And that was been my, that's been my beef. Um, you know, the reason I haven't really responded to Jay-Z in a long time. So this was refreshing. And, you know, I, for for most people who, who listen to hip hop, they've probably had the same struggle as you get a little older we you know because for me i think the the line of demarcation is probably about 35 right when you get late 30s you you start to change the way you think you don't think, i hope well you should uh, yeah let me change that take that back you should be thinking a little different i mean if you know these cats are in their late 30s early 40s still thinking like they're 21 that that's a problem that i think that's a problem for a separate podcast um but you start to think differently. The the things that were once important to you are no longer important, right? Um, and why shouldn't that be reflected in the music? Why shouldn't that be reflected in in what what we hear? So and what you hear is a lot of people will say, "Well, the reason is that it isn't reflected in the music is because I'm appealing to the eighteen to twenty five year old crowd or the twelve to you know the twenty one year old crowd or whatever." Um, but the reality is. People who are adults have more money to spend on music or spend on your touring. You know, it's you know, a few years ago, 
the whole notion of adult contemporary hip hop came to the fore and it was, the question came up, well, you know, why wouldn't the people who are advancing in age, moving forward with their lives, why wouldn't there be a space for those people? Um, I remember in the beginning of this century, you had uh, some artists who were really, really um, trying to come back, like people from the late 80s, early 90s. Making their comebacks. Yeah. But, um, you know, when I look at Busta Rhymes and a few of them, they came back trying to appeal to that younger crowd in some of their initial albums, you know, at the turn of the century. And it sounded very silly. And then, so now that time is going by and some people are realizing, let me, you know, appeal to my contemporaries, the people who have been my fans for 30 years. Why don't I appeal to them? They're not talking about some of the same stuff that they talked about or that they rhymed about recent, um, back in the day. But, so I, you know, I was looking at the the last few hip hop albums that I physically got, <clears throat> and I was like, I got Common, I got Show Baraka. Um, we talked about KRS One. For those of you who don't know, KRS One, he's actually like fifty or fifty one. Probably, yeah. No, no, he is. I remember oh, reading is. an article a couple of years ago, and they're like, these people are turning fifty this year, and KRS One was one of them. I was like, made me feel old. But anyway, um, that's because you are. And wong wong. <laughs> uh, common propaganda, Shobaraka, KRS, and you know what? What I'm realizing is like what what you just said. I think this is something that affected hip hop in general um, and Christian hip hop specifically. Because this is what when you when I sat down and really started to analyze this, I realized that was one of the reasons why a lot of these cats. Same thing. We 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 didn't think it was the same thing, but it is when you go back and, and analyze it from this perspective, it's the same thing. Where a lot of these cats from our era in Christian hip hop were like, "Why are they not feeling this no more?" <laughs> right? I'm you know I'm 40 years old. I'm not like beating the streets. You know what I'm saying? Like, yo, we gonna take over the streets for Jesus? Nah, I'm not. I'm probably not gonna do that. I barely can yeah. take over the, my house for I'm, Jesus. You know what I? <laughs> but what I can Jesus. do, right? What I can do as a middle aged Christian man is I can probably teach you how to be a better husband, right? Be a better father. One on one discipleship, right? Exactly, mm-hmm. right? I can, and that was one of the reasons I wasn't feeling the ambassador's last album when he came over that album like six months ago. I wanted to give it a chance. I was like, yeah. oh, okay, he's coming back out. And when I heard it, it sounded like early 2000s cross movement. I was yeah. like, dude, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, you you should be in a different space right now. That's So I, I, I think that we have to learn, you know, I think what Jay-Z is going to help teach Cass is if you appeal to, like what you said, appeal to your contemporaries. Do not try to, um, there's very little that I have in common with somebody who's 18 or 21. And very little that you have in common with you at that age. At, exactly. Yeah, you've developed, you've grown, you've experienced the world a little bit more. And so, you know, you, you, you're listen, you want to hear your artists. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. You want to hear the people who sound you like and, and who flow the way that you want. But you want to hear them dealing with honesty. And that's right. the reality. We're talking about honesty. Yeah. You know, you're a grown, you know, th- that artist is a grown man with a bunch of kids. I'm a grown man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and... and one thing that Avery said on the show a few weeks ago is honesty uh, really contributes to art. It just it does something. It makes that draws it more authentic. It makes yeah. it authentic. Yeah. But I think when you have record labels who won't allow the artist to be who they are for the sake of selling, they maybe not you know some of the lower 
um, billboard artists, but some of your higher billboard artists probably do have to make that decision to conform to appeal to those um, 18 and 20 year olds just for sales. That's a good point. Not necessarily because, you know, like you said, the ambassador is in his late 40s, mid 40s. You know, he's probably really not beating the streets for Jesus at this day and age. <laughs> However, you know, trying to stay relevant and make a comeback, you you know, you're with a record label, you want to do what's going to sell, you know. So, well, that's one of the benefits of being independent, you know. One of the one of the things that makes this century uh, distinct. Or even this decade, distinct from previous ones, right. especially in hip hop, is that there's so many resources out there, and that's why you have that's why everybody's so amped about Chance coming out and being able to win awards when he sidestepped the whole record deal thing all together. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for people who are coming up and they're like they're looking for a chance to get signed, I mean, that that's that's just an old way of thinking. Just watch model. Unsung for yeah. a few seconds, and then you'll realize, <laughs> you know, you don't have to get signed. You can actually, if you are really interested in putting the, the Working, pursuing your craft then yeah. then you can do this thing um now sign get signed if they're offering you a whole lot and expecting a little yes get signed but other than that and most of the do time they're not. yeah <laughs> and by the way shout out to unsung you can sponsor us anytime <laughs> anyway um but no definitely we you know i think it's a uh, show baraka did did an interview late last year right around the time this album came out um really dope project yeah uh, um, narrative right yeah. that's one that was my best out that my favorite album of 2016 it was incredible yeah the 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 narrative um he and something he said in the interview he said um i put out i wanted to put out a project that I would want to listen to. Like, you know, I think shows, I think shows like 37. He's like, I'm 37 years old. He's like, and when I was doing this project, I wanted to put something out that somebody who was 37 would be like, oh, this is dope. You know, I'm not trying to put out a project. I think a, a, a lot of Christian hip hop artists, not a lot, a few, have begun to this trend, but I think they just didn't have the cultural impact that somebody like Jay-Z would have. I, I, I know Stephen the Levite oh, yeah, has started always. to change his uh, tone a little bit. Definitely propaganda. Uh, for those of you who listen to Christian hip hop, propaganda is another one. I mean, so a, a couple guys have begun to make that shift. Like, yo, we are older. We're around 40. Like, I'm not bebopping going to youth groups and, you know what I'm saying, going to these Christian camps or whatever, which, you know, no no knocking the people that are. I'm just making a, making a point. Yeah. Um, but they're realizing that the things that I'm wrestling with, right, the things that I'm dealing with now are not the same things that I was dealing with when I was 21. And so that we have to be able to understand that and, and make that adjustment, you know, outside of the record sales part. Because I think that, that 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 is a part. But then there's also just the, you know, artistic part where it's like, you know, artistically, I'm a different cat. Like, I'm a different do. You know well, we, we need to remember, uh, though, that record sales now just, you know, don't do it. In, within, um, I mean, there's streaming, there's all kinds of things going on uh, in general. So that's why artists in general have had to learn how to make their cash in other ways. So for people to say, I'm not going to do this or I'm going to do this because of record sales. Yeah, I, I think that people need to step back and say, look, I'm 35 years old, I'm 45 years old, whatever the age is, this is what I'm doing. This is what's authentic to me. This is my art. I still have talent. Now let me figure out how to reach out to, to, to my audience. And, you know, again, you, you realize your audience 
is older and they have more money to respond to what it, if you put something out that's 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 talent that has a lot of talent and that has a lot of quality i'm gonna buy it I, right now i'm based on what you just said about krs1 um when i go up to my next appointment you know <laughs> i'm about to upload that thing while i'm driving so you know at our age you know in the 30s 40s 50s however old people are you have more resources more resources than an 18 year old so the, I think that what people have, have, have failed to do is tap into that audience. Right. And I think that it's an excuse to say, oh, um, we get more record sales from 18-year-olds. No, nah, you're right. I mean, I think a lot of times older people just don't buy because what they see is trash. Exactly. Because like, I know I fall in that category. Because like a lot of times I don't buy because I'm, I'm looking and I'm like, like, I'm somebody because I'm an artist. I look and I listen. Yeah. And when I go and I look and I listen and I realize... This is all trash. Like, I'm not buying it. I'll just listen to some old music exactly. before I, you know, listen to this trash. So, no, definitely we have to be better um, in terms of art. You know, I'm speaking to artists now. We have to be better in terms of connecting with our contemporaries. So, I just wanted to bring up um, just one of the things that's exciting about what's going on with Jay-Z now, 444, uh, is that, or 444. Uh, the deal is, is that um, this is exciting because of what I mentioned earlier about, you know, a few years ago, I forgot which artist it was that said, you know, adult contemporary hip hop, we need to have a sub genre, you know, because so many of us who grew up on hip hop, obviously are Gen X and some people are tail end boomers. Right. And so they want adult, we, they want the adult contemporary adult. content, uh, uh, adult contemporary content. And so, but it's exciting that Jay-Z, who is so high profile, has come up with something that could be categorized that way. Because up until this point, anybody who's rhymed according to that type of content has been driven underground. Or they already were underground and didn't try to come up. Definitely. And yeah. so if there's going to be a lane where you don't have to stay under the ground and you could be... You know, it's, you could be above ground, <laughs> you could be uh, in the mainstream or at least mm-hmm. publicized accordingly and do adult contemporary. That's going to be incredible. Yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, just as as we pivot is one of the things that, that he did, I think, very masterfully is um, discussing black identity, you know, because he had the, you know, the, the, the lead track, the story of O.J., and he touched on a lot of stuff in there, you know. He he used one of E's favorite words. Oh Lord. <laughs> <laughs> but, but but exactly. Th- yeah, but there's a way, you know, there's a way that an older man will articulate that, that a younger man just does not have the capacity to articulate. And that's why it's it's so important. Cause somebody who like Jay-Z, who's probably near a billionaire at this point, he understands even though I'm this rich people still are going to look at me a certain way. So yep. he he realizes now, almost like Solomon, you know, because when Solomon writes Proverbs, he's a younger man. When he writes Ecclesiastes, he's an older man. So that's why if you read, if you know, for those of you who read the Bible, you'll see the way Solomon speaks in Proverbs is different than the way he speaks in Ecclesiastes. The way he speaks in Ecclesiastes is like an older man. Mm. He realizes... Yeah, this is a waste of time. Everything this is, is meaningless. This is, this is all meaningless. It's all vanity. Yeah. Why? Because when he writes Ecclesiastes, he's sitting at the top of all these mountains. All these mountains that we all try to climb. Money, women, wisdom. He's there. He's like, I got all the money. I got all the wisdom. I got all the women. It's meaningless. This is. I think this is the point where Jay-Z was getting to mm. in terms of understanding black identity. Because he's like, I'm a billionaire and they still see me as an in. Right. So obviously money cannot be my identity. Now, he's not going to be able to articulate that in a spiritual sense. But I think he's coming to a realization like, oh, I got to 
my identity has to be somewhere else. It cannot be in the fact that I'm a billionaire because there are certain people who still just see me as an N-word. So those are the types of things that a mature man, a grown man is going to talk about that a young guy is not going to talk about because a young guy is still trying to get all the money, trying to get all the women and this and, and the prestige and et cetera, et cetera. So this is why I think hip hop needs to learn you know, to make room for old heads. AJ, the culture needs it. This is really, this is important stuff. The culture needs this because remember back in the day and even now, the people, especially people who grew up in quote unquote broken homes, they will actually open their mouth and tell you, I'd look to those dudes because I didn't have that influence or that that, that person who's influencing me when I walk into my house and close the door, I did not have you know, somebody to say, okay, this is what manhood is. And, you know, if, if the dad was at home, you know, he was tired from, you know, trying right. to support his family or he was on the couch, you know, with the, with the remote control. And if he wasn't there, you know, I definitely didn't get that. So, you know, a role, a lot of people will say that they don't play this role, but a role that a lot of these hip hop artists during the gangster rap era, during, even during the mumble rap era right now, <laughs> a, a role that they're playing, whether they like it or not, is little kids looking up and hearing a guy who's a few years older spitting whatever he's spitting. Just like uh, in this video that Jay-Z came out with recently where the a whole bunch of guys, uh, celebrity guys are talking. We'll get to that at a different, a different time. You know, they actually looked up to guys who were on the, behind the mic. You know, and they and they and Will Smith made a video about this saying that there's a there was a guy in his neighborhood who would tell them, okay, this is the way you deal with women. And now that Will Smith is older, he's like, that was all BS, like the whole thing. And he but he had to go through that to figure that out after having made whatever number of mistakes he made. Mm -hmm. So I think the reason that uh, adult contemporary hip hop is critical for the culture is so that there's different voices out there, at least at least as an option so that somebody coming up. If they don't have those masculine influences or feminine, depending on you know the gender of the artist, right. they can hear different types of people spitting different types of things. No, definitely. Sure. And I mean, I think that's why we have to realize, you know, just as we shift that money, money is not everything, right? And I think Jay-Z is starting to realize that. He's realizing now I need to kind of go back to the drawing board and sort of plan out my my where my identity is. And I think someone who needs to learn that money is not everything, <laughs> right? Money is not everything. Is is your boy Floyd Mayweather? Even though his moniker is Floyd Money Mayweather, um, I think he needs to realize that money is not not everything. Money is not his identity. Um, even as one of the greatest boxers of all time, he still you know finds his identity in money. And for those of you who don't know, right, Floyd, <clears throat> Floyd and, and and Conor McGregor. They've been going on this uh, national, I guess international, since they went to Toronto as well. Yeah. And this international tour promoting their upcoming fight. You know, Floyd came out of retirement. He's going to fight Conor, who's like 12 years younger than him, because Floyd is 40. And Conor's like 28, 29. He's a younger man. Um, and Conor comes from the MMA. Baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically. Wow. I didn't realize he was that young. Yeah, Conor's but much younger. He comes out of the MMA world? Yeah, Conor's okay. an MMA fighter, mixed martial art artist. Um Oh, Miss Martial Arts fighter, right? <laughs> I don't know. Not an artist, Miss, just Miss Mixed Martial Arts. Um, but they've been going on this tour, right? So they're going on this tour and they're promoting the fight, which, hey, you know, do, do your thing. So, and for those of you who don't know, one of Connor's, you know, things is he's very braggadocious. You know, he's real braggadocious. He's real, just got the flair and extravagance and the whole nine yards. So the 
um, one of the last stops. I don't remember if it was Vegas or if it was Toronto. So in you know they each have a few minutes to get up on the mic and they start talking and hey look at me I'm the best I'm the greatest I'm gonna kill this guy da, 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 da. yeah so Connor walks over to Floyd says dance for me boy dance oh, no. for me boy wow now I understand Connor's from Ireland I understand yeah he may or may not know the impl- you know the, the historic right. implications of that but. You know, I find that hard to believe, honestly. In this day and age, in this day and age, I find that hard to believe because people have tried to say, "Hey, well, you know, he Connor's not from; he's from Europe." But you know what? I think he knows what he's doing. Otherwise, why would he even know to say "dance for me, boy"? Yeah, I, right. I can see that. I can see that. So I, I think he knows what he's doing, and then so here's the crazy thing: so people tried to check him on it. They say, "Yo, Connor, man, that's 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 out of bounds. That's that's racist." Connor then follows up a racist comment. With an even more racist comment. So then he says, hey, 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 I can't be racist. Because I'm black from the waist down. Oh, Lord. Mm-mm-mm. So. <laughs> Dudes, man. The, the, the old racial stereotype that, you know, black men are so well endowed, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So this is what Connor was hinting at, if, for, for those of you who didn't realize what he was saying. Mm-hmm. So here's, here's my problem. I, I, I have two problems with that. And then I definitely only want to two. Hear, well, <laughs> two major problems. And then, of course, I definitely want to hear because now that I'm surrounded by ladies, I, uh, I, I get to hear what the ladies think about this today. Is of course Connor's comments were ridiculous, um, but then secondly, that because Floyd finds his identity in money and money only, because that's always his comeback. Whenever somebody talks to Floyd about something, it's always, "Well, I make money." It's like, dude, whatever, right? He won't he won't check Conor McGregor on these comments because he's so concerned about making all this money. Because I think Floyd's gonna make like three hundred million or four hundred million off this fight. I mean, it's a tremendous amount of money. Win or lose, win or lose. Like that's what he's gonna take home, which is I mean, really, it's a mind boggling amount of money for a fight. Because um, I think Conor's gonna make like a hundred million and Floyd's gonna make like two three times that, right? But he won't check Conor McGregor on these comments because. He's so concerned about how much money he's going to make. Wait, are you sure that that's the reason? Or is it possible that Floyd is just not particularly ethnically conscious and might not even understand just how, um, just how offensive Connor's comments are? What, I mean, I don't know anything about Floyd's uh, uh, social and, and ethnic consciousness in the first place. But even if somebody brought it to his attention, I don't think he would still wouldn't do anything. Yeah. And he has such a great platform to really yeah. address it and make it, you know, you know, give it the public eye and say, hey, you know, maybe I'm going to withdraw from this fight because I'm not going to get in a ring with someone who has these derogatory comments towards, you know, people of color. But because he's so consumed with being, you know, Floyd money, money Mayweather, then not, nah, you know, go ahead and talk. Yeah. He's he's more fueled by the comments, I believe, in order to knock him out. But yeah. you know, even if we look at it from a financial standpoint, because I'm wondering if, because I, I haven't seen um, as much pushback as you're saying, but mm-hmm. just in general, um, uh, on Floyd's side, 
as uh, any pushback really with respect to what Connor has been saying. And so it seems like if they're out there for publicity and if they're trying to, you know, make this a big sort of conflict to kind of bring the crowds in and get everybody, is it, you know, buying the, the subscription, you know, is it on pay-per-view? Yeah, yeah buying it on pay-per-view and all that, then why do, you know, it seems like that he would get more money and people who are more interested by coming back. But he would, ha- I think from his perspective, he would have to find a way to come back that isn't so serious, that isn't so Booker D. Washington, right. you know, Marcus Garvey, you know, Carter Woodson, you know, he has to come back in a way that um, hints on social consciousness and how that, how what Connor said fuels white supremacy. Right. Um, but without being so serious. So that's going to be an interesting line. But you know what? In, in watching all this, you know what it made me do? It made me appreciate what Kaepernick did even more. Mm. It made me appreciate Colin Kaepernick even more because I'm not this, you know, I understand white supremacy exists and I understand that as a black person in America, you have to kind of maneuver through it. You know, it's, it's, it's everywhere. It's prevalent. Systemic, yeah. Yeah. It, it is, it is ingrained. You know, it's the seasoning of America. Mm, good stuff. <laughs> it's, it's the flavor that we bring. Um, but Floyd, like, like what my, my wife was saying is that Floyd actually has a much bigger platform than Kaepernick. When you think mm-hmm. about it, I think whatever, the last year was that Floyd was boxing because he re- he's been retired for a couple of years. But whatever the last, I think it was 2015, he made the most money of any athlete that year. Wow. Whatever was his last year, he made the most money, like more than LeBron, more than anybody. It was Floyd. So his his platform is actually bigger <clears throat> to to check Connor on on some of these comments. And it's just kind of like... Dang, dude, you just gonna let that drink slide? You know, just just to make a couple of dollars when you're already wealthy? Like, that's what, you know, you could, so, not to justify it, right? But you can understand when somebody's on the come up and they let stuff slide. I don't agree with it, but you can understand because you're on the come up. Yeah, but he's not that. He's not that. That's even, that's why I said it made me appreciate what Kaepernick did because when Kaepernick did it, he was already rich. So he said, you know what? I'm already rich. I'm gonna take this chance. Because I'm not going to continue to let this stuff slide. Floyd is already filthy rich. So he can afford to take that chance. He's not on the come up. You know, this is not his first big payday. You know, he's not living check to check. You know, when, when, when you're in those situations, it doesn't justify it. But I understand it because you're trying to survive. But for these guys who are, on, you know, in that level, you can afford to forfeit a fight. Like he could afford it and be fine, like literally be perfectly like not fine, miss a beat. and not miss a beat, not miss a bill. <laughs> you know, Floyd walks around with like fifty thousand dollars in cash in, bags. in a duffel bag. Yeah, I'm, but I th- I'm sure they still have him by the cojones in terms of getting out of the fight. So they're gonna find some. You know, they're. I think. I think what he can do though is threaten it. No yeah, doubt he, about that. He can definitely threaten. Now he might get fined, and, but still, I. Floyd is so rich. I mean, like he's a millionaire hundreds of times over. So it's not like. Even if they if they find Floyd fifty million dollars, I still think he'd be fine. <laughs> like that's the kind of money that Floyd was making. So well, that leads me to a question: What's really going on behind the scenes? Because just yesterday, or maybe it was I think it was the day before, or just yesterday, uh, the media caught Floyd and Connor coming off of the same private jet on their tours from from <laughs> from location to location <laughs> and promoting uh, this fight. And they're coming off the same private jet. They came off at different times, et cetera, but it was the same one. That's funny and you say that. Yeah. I, I had that same thought of just the publicity, just publicity. Yeah. So if Connors is okay, 
Floyd is okay. Say whatever. Nothing's off limits. No hold bars. Whatever you need to do for ratings. Whatever you need to do to get all of your HBO subscribers to, you know, buy the fight. Showtime. Showtime. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, you know, go ahead and do it. I had yeah. that exact same thought. But yeah. that even makes it even worse. Well, that he would, he'll be step, stepping and fetching behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you will let Connor get away with this in public when you know the impact that it will have, right? right? And you're just putting on an act. That's Steppin' and Fetch It. That's what Steppin' and Fetch It, the actual character um, from a half century ago, was so criticized for. You know, you, where you're just, you just want to make some cash. You want to get on. So just, you know, take whatever um, historic, just really terrible um, stereotypes is being thrown at you. So, I'm, I, you know, similar to Kaepernick, it, it, it just makes me go back and look at some of these casts. Like, like the Jim Browns, like oh, the Bill, yes. the Bill Russells, the Muhammad Ali's of the world, guys who were at the peak of their you know careers and make made a it stand. and made a stand. You know, it it makes me look back at that and appreciate it more. Um, where you have other guys like a Mayweather, like a Jordan. People forget Jordan was not that dude. He's like, oh, Republicans buy sneakers too. Jordan was never <laughs> willing to jeopardize his financial situation to take a stand. Even the recent thing that he did about two years ago, he donated like a million dollars to, um, not to Black Lives Matter, but it was to another inner city, like um, uh, inner city, um, I can't think of the name, organization, but mm -hmm. I I forget the name, but then he also donated like a million dollars to like a police organization. And people are like, Jordan, what are you doing? Stop riding the fence. I know what he was, exactly, I know what Jordan was doing. He was riding the fence. It should have been the police athletic league, at least you, (laughs) if you donate (laughs) to that, at least you're benefiting the kids on the ground. So anyway, I mean, Floyd, you know, listen, man, you, but the Bible says the eye is never full of sin. You know, the eye, so Floyd, all he's his dollar signs. That's all he's seeing, and he's going to let Connor say whatever. I don't expect Floyd to say anything. Yeah. I honestly don't. I expect Connor to get more and more derogatory, and I expect Floyd to just sit there because all he's going to look for is that paycheck at the end of the fight. And in spite of Floyd's age, and in spite of the fact that he's a, a Gen Xer, he might not have been taught just basic right. you know ethnic dignity and consciousness every sometimes sometimes i actually speak to people who actually don't know about things that we would consider basic may jemison you know the first woman of color and like all of these like really great people who are of their own ethnicity and what we've contributed to society and just the history, mm-hmm. you know? So some people are actually unconscious. And so right. who knows? I don't know much. Of, I know a little bit about Floyd's father, but I don't know much about, you know, how he grew up. And, um, and just like in the olden days, you know, we, we might look at, look up to Muhammad Ali and people like that, but there were step and fetch it people back then too. Yeah. Just like there is now. I think, one of the things that people will will say about Conor McGregor, like they say about other people, is that you know the the stuff that he's doing and the stuff that he's saying is almost like an assault on black excellence. Like the the things that he's doing and things that he's saying against Floyd Mayweather is is an assault against you know one of the like I said one of the greatest boxers of all time, and so it's almost like it's an assault on black excellence and somebody else who is people believe who is assaulting black excellence right yep is um our governor here like we've already told you you know for those of you who don't know we are recording just outside of washington dc i refuse to say dmv in the great (laughs) state of maryland we're in maryland just outside of dc we're in the dc area the area um but larry hogan 
for those of you who don't know, Larry Hogan is the governor of the state of Maryland. Yeah. Republican governor, won the last gubernatorial election. That's a hard word to say. Why, I know, right? You feel like it should be governatorial, but it's gubernatorial? I'm, I'm not sure why. Anyway. It's probably got some Latin roots somewhere. Yeah, that's that crazy English language. Sometimes we have those rules that don't really make any sense. Nope, none at all. It's like, are you the governor or you the gubernator? Which one are you? <laughs> I am the governor. I'm the gubernator. <laughs> I'll be back. Right. Um, so the governor has uh, requested an investigation of Prince George's County Public Schools. Now, I'm going to go ahead and give you guys a little backdrop. For those of you who are unfamiliar with this area, um, Prince George's County um, is one of the suburban counties outside of Washington, D.C. Um, it is a predominantly African-American Starting uh, population. Starting in the 60s, yeah. It became started becoming predominantly black uh, in the 60s. It used to be a mostly white county. Yeah. So within the last two generations, um, the, the dynamics of the population in this county has drastically changed. Um, seven of the ten wealthiest black communities actually reside within this county. county you know, towns like Mitchellville and Fort Washington and Bowie. These are you know, in Forbes magazine. These are in magazines. Articles have been written about the, the black wealth that is in uh, Prince George's County. Um, so a, a lot of people are saying that this uh, investigation by Larry Hogan is a witch hunt because it's an assault on black excellence because there, recently there have been um, a rise in the high school graduation rates in the county. And so um, some school board members are beginning to allege that there may be some wrongdoing. Oh, no, no, no. There, there, there cannot be such a spike in the graduation rates. Something must be afoot. It's just bizarre. It's a, it's a bizarre thought in the first place, because one thing about education in America is that it tends to go along with the socioeconomic status of the community. Now, Prince George's County has probably a uh, some other variables that make it so that's not normally the case, uh, which is why we're just now entering a point where high school, high school graduation, gr graduation rates are starting to rise. Um, there's, you know, there's a lot that we could talk about sociologically about why Prince George's County, as wealthy as certain parts of it is, would even have a problem with its public schools. But considering that the trend across the country is that, you know, what you pay in your property taxes um, and, you know, will reflect the quality of education should should have automatically told people, well, yeah, of course, there's going to be some kind of, you know, um, uh, some kind of uh, positive um, impact that all these wealthy families would have on this school system. No, definitely. And the the reason that people one of the other reasons that people believe this is a witch hunt is because four days prior to Governor Hogan uh, <laughs> beginning this investigation is that um, Rashern Baker, the county executive of Prince George's County, African-American man, announced his candidacy for the governorship of Maryland. Wow. So four days later, Governor Hogan, Governor Hogan, conservative Republican, then begins this investigation. So people think that this is really um, a political witch hunt. Very convenient yeah. timing. It's very convenient that... Not a coincidence, yeah, maybe? Within a week of Rashern announcing his candidacy for governor, then Rashern, uh, then Governor Hogan announces this um, investigation of... Now, I'm not acquitting the county of any wrongdoing. Like I said, I don't put anything past unrighteous people. I don't care what, yeah. you know, as we've seen all the way up to 45, right. right? I don't, just because they hold a position, no matter what color their skin is, I put nothing past people who are unrighteous. So I'm not saying that 
the county is completely free of any wrongdoing. I don't want anybody to take it that way. What I am saying is that these circumstances are very convenient for the governor to begin this investigation of the county. And I think, too, one of the things that was surprising is that it wasn't even a moment to celebrate the increase. Mm. It immediately went to, oh, that can't be right. Students in Prince George's County can't be graduating at a higher rate. So, like you said, it's it's a pretty interesting, you know, convenience that, that happened, you know, shortly um, before his uh, Rashawn Baker's, you know, announcement. But there wasn't even a moment to celebrate. I saw in Baloo High School yeah. for the first time that they had a hundred percent graduation yeah. rate. Wow. Right? Yeah, I don't yeah. see Muriel Bowser throwing in the investigations to, to double check into that. That's something to be celebrated. Mm. Yeah. So the notion to immediately rip that celebration away, to immediately go on the negative or the political winch hunt, winch hunt was really just, it's disheartening. It is. You know, like nothing good can come out of Prince George's County. Is, is that where we're going? Mm. So it and was you know, frustrating. The, there's an article I was reading that where they also, they, they compared the rise in um, high school graduation in Prince George's to Carroll County. They said recently, Carroll County, which is in rural, Maryland as well. Yeah, it's another county in Maryland for those of you who don't know, but it's a more rural, more white county. The graduation rate, there's been a spike in the recent years. Nobody's investigating Carroll County. Of, you know, there's no allegations of any wrongdoing, yet there has been a spike in the high school graduation rate. So, again, I actually hate the fact that these things sometimes always fall on racial lines. Like, I, it, it you know, you understand the way the world works. Like, yeah, you know, that's how people are. But it's like, God, everything? But there's know? a pattern, you know? I mean, and, and patterns need to be recognized. And not yeah. only that, we live in a, a context. You know, we live in a racialized country that has always been racialized. Always. You know, you have people coming from one continent, snatching people from another, stealing a third. <laughs> that's yeah. really that's really what this right here is. People like to brag about their achievements. But, you know, you're on land <laughs> that was stolen. People worked it and people came over here uninvited. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and not only that, but a racial caste system, system was established early on. And yeah, I mean, I understand the frustration. It's like, yeah. goodness gracious, we have to again. talk about race again. Again, But, you know, it's going to take a while, um, especially if we continue to ignore it. It's going to take a while before that fizzles out and people could just be human beings. That's yeah, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. But, you know, for those of you who might be listening to International, that's life in America. So yeah, <laughs> with that is not welcome really much. Welcome to America. Right, welcome, welcome to what? what I am very what, happy to be here. <laughs> what did what did Lecrae say? Welcome to America, right? Yep. Welcome to America. So one thing that we want to do though, we want to pause here though and take a word from our sponsor. Do you feel like you're just managing day to day? Imagine a life where you understand your purpose. You're actively pursuing your goals. You're impacting the people around you through your leadership and you have systems in place for maximum efficiency. Well, let me introduce you to Coach Sheba. She is a leadership development coach who works with professionals, entrepreneurs, and leaders, men and women like you who are ready to stop managing day to day and start leading within the circles of influence they can impact. Clients working with her team learn the value of the process that leads to growth and development within themselves and how that impacts the way they relate to their purpose, others, and time. When your mindset shifts and your behavior changes, this equates to a change that is sustainable. These changes professionally and personally will result in a changed life. 
Get in touch with Sheba today at www.coachsheba.com. That's C-O-A-C-H-S-H-E-E-B-A.com. Or she can be reached at 650-741-6545. Please support our sponsors the way they support our podcast and tell them you heard about it at Across the Intersection. All right, all right, and we're back. All right, just spent the last couple minutes getting roasted by two females. So. <laughs> we're back, we're back, we're back. Um, That's what commercial breaks are for, you yeah. know. Um, so we're gonna we, we come around third base here, and you know we about to go into the deep waters now. We, we we're pushing out to sea. So this is an old article, but I just recently read it um, within the last couple of weeks. It's an article that was written. Well, I think it was last year. Yeah, last May. It was written last May um, for, shoot, I forget the name of the publication. Darn it. I should have wrote that down. Um, The Something Institute. It's a particular institute. I forget the name of it. It'll be on the Facebook page when y'all see this posted. Yeah. But Dr. Paul R. McHugh, he wrote an article about a year ago. And for those of you who don't know who Dr. McHugh is, he was the head or the psychiatric, psychiatrist, Psychiatrist. Speaking. I told you I'm having trouble speaking. (laughs) Psychiatrist in chief at Johns Hopkins University for over a quarter of a century. Yeah, and let it be known that Johns Hopkins University is one of the most prestigious universities on the planet. And in addition to that, um, it's medical um, facilities and research. Top notch. Uh, Yeah, it's top notch and world renowned. So, you know, uh, McHugh is not. You know, somebody running around, you know, a whack job running around trying to, you know, make, (laughs) (laughs) trying to make, uh, you know, accusations or, you know, with, without knowing the way that research works within a um, psychological and psychiatric context. And, you know, John, so what the, um, the article was about transgender people. Yeah. And so I I already told y'all we're going to go into the deep waters here. We in six feet. Right, we about to go to the eight feet. So what what he did, oh, the Witherspoon Institute, there it is. Just cool. looked it up. The Witherspoon yeah. Institute, that's where he wrote his article. So I'm going to be quoting the, the, the good doctor, so, so don't, don't, don't kill the messenger. But what he, what he was talking about with transgender people, um, and he said, um, and he was very specific, as, by the way. So he wasn't talking about gay or lesbian or homosexual. He was specifically talking about transgender people. He said a couple of things. He said, because um, by the way, he worked at Johns Hopkins for over 40 years, but he was the psychiatrist in chief for 26. He said, um, transgender men uh, do not become women, nor do transgender women become men, but the men become feminized men and the women become masculinized women. Mm-hmm. They are counterfeits or imposters of the sex in which they identify. Wow. That's a real harsh statement very bold right very bold statement um and he said the the reason for that is um and these are all because he studied he studied um transgender people for like i said nearly uh, a quarter century and i just also wanted to add that johns hopkins was the first um either one of the first or the first uh, institutions to do these uh, reassignment surgeries yep. back in the 70s um and they did it for a few years and then stopped they stopped yeah mm-hmm. yeah yep. Yeah, they were one of the first institutes to to begin that that surgery. gender reassignment. Then, yeah, then they they ceased it, um, I think in the eighties. 
80s or 90s, 80s. yeah. Or mm-hmm. it might have been. I think it was 80s. Okay. Yeah. Um, so this this is not some, you know, completely conservative group that's out in the shadows somewhere. They were, at one point, they were on the cutting edge of this. Exactly. And I think they begun to realize the error of their ways, and so they shifted, right? Um, and so he stated that um, this thought, and again, he's being very specific to transgender people, not gay or homosexual. Um, is that it should be confronted like an opinion without biological foundation. Um, and he's these, these are medical, you know, he's making professional medical claims. Um, he says that uh, the evidence of transgendering is more of a psychological matter, not a biological matter. I, me personally, I've always just wondered about transgender people you understand gay people, you know, a man's attracted to a man and a woman's attracted to a woman. That's sort of a feeling, sexual attraction thing. But where transgender, I think, personally differs a bit is because as a man, how can I say I feel like a woman? Like you I don't, don't know. I really don't what a woman know. Feels you see like. what I'm saying? Like I could tell you I think I was a but how do you really know? Like what makes you think you can know? You say, Oh, well, I just know. Like there's there are things in in women, not just physically, but there are things emotionally, right? Mentally, there are way, it, it, there's a just like men. There's a way that a woman's mind works. There's a way that women think and see the world and see things that, as a man, I just can't comprehend. Yeah, a I lot can't. of people would actually come against what you just said, you know, because some people, especially nowadays, people would think that the only only difference between men and women first of all they have issue with the binary concept of men and women and gender they believe that gender is more fluid which is where you know which is how people support the notion of uh, transgenderism but um but a lot of people will look at that and say no the difference between we're all humans the difference is is genitalia you know what are you talking about there's certain things that are innate for women and innate for men that's an old concept but those same people um if you have a male and a female having a conversation (laughs) You know, you'll start to see some of that come out, and I think people should should look at what's there. You know, what's rea- what the reality is, even from their own experience, that there are some differences between men and women. I think it's rooted in competition. Like sometimes we don't think to just be like, you know, what you're a woman and you're different, and that's okay. Yeah. Like, why can't that just be okay? No, 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 no. It has to be the same. No, it doesn't have to be the same. Like. Sometimes I want chocolate. Sometimes I want vanilla. Like, they're different, and it's okay. I know I just compare people to ice cream, and I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah. the, the, I don't know. It's like, listen, you two are two grown women, right? Y'all are grown. Y'all are women. Y'all are girls, right? We are grown. There are different times of the month where you're going to be seeing things a little different. Mm-hmm. There's no way I would ever, I told y'all, we grown in here. There's <laughs> no way I would ever be able to comprehend that. Mm-hmm. The way that you're... Things will just change in your body uh, psychologically, emotionally. I will never be able to understand Never that have a clue. And, and comprehend <laughs> that, right? Th- th- there was a, a comedian one time, and I'm going to relate this to what we're talking about. He was talking uh, about um, childbirth. And he said, you know, he, was, he asked a woman to explain childbirth to him. <clears throat> and she said, you know what? Childbirth is um, the the pain that you go through in childbirth would be like if somebody repeatedly just kicked you in the balls. That's what she said to him. This is the comedian. <laughs> I told y'all don't don't kill the messenger. <laughs> and he looked at her. He said, "You're lying." She's like, "What do you mean you're lying?" 
He said, lady, let me tell you something. If somebody ever kicked me in the balls repeatedly, I would never go back to them again. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's how I knew she was lying. <laughs> now, let me, now, why is that apropos for our yeah. discussion here? Because there's something in women that after that extreme situation of childbirth, yeah. they will go back to the well yeah. because of the way in which the woman is made up. Mm. Men are not made up that way. <laughs> Men, I can tell you, I'm a man. <laughs> that that old coach, I'm a man, I'm almost 40. <laughs> There's no way I'm going back to that well. But there is something in the woman that says, oh, no, I want to do that again and again. And again, and again, and again. From what I hear, you know, Shanita, you're the only one here who has given birth. Uh, but from what I hear, as terrible um, as the experience can be physically, you know, getting a gigantic shape through a smaller shape. Whew, I don't know how you guys do it. However, um, from what I hear, from what I, from what I hear, you know, a certain number of minutes will go by. The pain will go away. You'll see that baby. And... And you'll actually, some people will actually start thinking about having another while they are still in the hospital. Well, that, well, that wasn't my story. <laughs> that was not my story. Not not immediately. Not for any of the three? And and and, and for the listeners, we women don't go back to the well by ourselves. Uh. There are people that draw us back to the well. Okay. <laughs> so let's put that out there. But- you teach a man to fish. <laughs> Amen. But one of the things, one of the things that I wanted to highlight is that when you were talking um, specifically about you know, the, the, the nuances, you know, there, there are things that God put in women that he didn't put in men. And for example, um, one of the trainings I attended a while ago, they were talking about the the differences between men and women. And they were talking about the emotionalism when you're treating male clients versus female clients. For those that don't know, I'm a licensed social worker as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they were married up. They they were, um, we had a medical doctor that was going through, um, the biological differences between a man's brain and how it's wired and a woman's brain and how it's wired. And the tear ducts of a woman are so much smaller than the tear ducts of a man. Interesting. And which is, it alludes to why women cry a lot more because the tear ducts are just not able to hold as much liquid. And so, you know, that is a perfect example of yeah. it's not just genitalia that, yeah. that, that makes a difference between men and women, but they are just distinct features that you have that we don't have and vice versa. So for someone to say, I just, it's just genitalia, you might as well just, you know, chop it up and make me a new one, you know, the one that I preferred, but the gender assignment that they were born with is they, they have distorted psychologically what they, what they feel. And so when you talk about the body dysmorphic disorder, when you in, in these are um, medical terms that are in the DSM-5, the yeah. Diagnostic Statistical Manual that medical professionals use, psychiatry, the ICD is what the medical team, you know, medical doctors use. But there's a there's tons of criteria for you for them to flip through to say, okay, you fit in this category, you fit in this category, and I just have a hunch that this um, doctor in John Hopkins. Probably, you know, you know, as a psychiatrist, as a licensed mental health professional, there are code of ethics, there are oaths you have to take. And when you see that your research and your work is now in what's called an ethical dilemma, yeah. you have to make it right. Yeah. You have to stop and bring awareness to what it is you're doing. Write articles. That's how you get the information out. Yeah. So it's no wonder that, you know, they, they were the cutting edge people in this um industry with with transgender surgeries but now you know ethics you know surprisingly there are some doctors and professionals that still have them 
No. Because yeah, one of the things that he wrote in the article, he says, you know, as many, many mental health professionals, they encourage people's misassumptions rather than helping them to work through these conflicts and correct their assumptions. Because I can tell you I feel like anything, right? But <clears throat> if, if I don't have that assumption corrected and I have it encouraged, right, um, then I'm going to continue to go further and further and further. And again, I want to be specific here. The the doctor was not talking about homosexuality. No, no, yeah, and that's a different He was talking about transgender. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I, and, but I, I just want to keep saying it because a lot of times people try to lump it together. Yeah. And I don't like when a lot of different things are just thrown together like they're all the same. And, you know, somebody who's homosexual or lesbian, that's different. You are attracted to the same sex. Okay. Transgender, you know, they... They change their appearance, take hormones, mutilate their body. They do a lot of different things to achieve something that this doctor is saying is a psychological issue because he gender dys, dysphoria is what it's called. Mm-hmm. The and that's the official psychiatric term when you believe yourself to be the opposite sex, yeah. which is what and what he said was it needs to be treated like similar psychological disorders like anorexia. You know, because you feel you're too fat, right? So I'm going to distort my body, completely destroy myself because of a feeling. Now, people are not encouraged to, you know, remain or continue in anorexia. His point is, so why do we encourage people in gender dysphoria? That's a very good point. Yeah. You know, I actually, um, uh, you know, got really curious. And sometimes my curiosity is not good because <laughs> I got, I went on YouTube and I actually looked at, a reassignment surgery. Yes, I did. <laughs> yes. As did I. Yes. Okay. So there was a little bit of. <laughs> Y'all are weird. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted, you know, it was just. So anyway, I jumped on and I looked at this and it was just so extreme. It was, it was almost violent. Really? It was, wow. it, it, you know, from my perspective, um, you know, I'm not in a medical field um, and I've seen, you know, other types of surgery, but this surgery seems so violent. And, and just so extreme and having to go through layers upon layers, you don't realize how many layers there are in this body, in this human body. Mm-hmm. And all of the things that, that were involved shows me that if someone wants to go through that, like there's, there, there, there's something going on inside of them and people will be offended by that and say, Oh, this is not psychological. You know, when I was born, there was just, you know, the wires got crossed. I should be able to uncross them. You know, don't just say I'm crazy. So people will be offended and are offended because I looked uh, at some of the responses that some of the people in the transgender community have had to this man. And, you know, he's an old fart basically from their perspective, <laughs> um, you know, instead of looking at his credentials and looking at how longevity would have, would help his, you know, what he's trying exactly. to say. Right. But, um, but yeah, so for someone to, you know, have that type of internal conflict, I am, I, you know, that's something that I do not um, look at in, in lightly. That's, that's a, yeah, big deal. It's a big deal. And for them to have to go through this type of surgery. And in addition to that, when you look at the percentages of people who have changed their mind in the, in the following five, within the following five who years. who haven't been happy when they've gotten it done. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a lot to do. It's a lot to do for something that, uh, that really starts in a um, metaphysical internal type way. And it's funny that you mentioned the, um, the surgery, because one of the things that the good doctor talks about is how that gender reassignment surgery is akin to liposuction because it doesn't address the problem. It addresses a symptom. Mm. 
And so it's like if someone who's obese gets liposuction and five years later, they're like, you know, I'm going to start eating again because you never really address the, the issue. Real, the root problem. Yeah, you never yep. really address the root. So that's what that gender assignment surgery sometimes can be because one of the statistics that he mentioned in his article is that within 15 years, the suicide rate of trans people is 20 times higher than those of their comparable peers. 20 times. Now, you might say there's other things that attribute to that, of course. Persecution from other people and ridicule, of course. But at the root of it, it's still the psychological thing that's in your mind because I guarantee you a large number that is probably those people who was like, you know what, what did I do? And once you do something that violent to yourself, there's no reversing that. That is what it is. So I think his his the the crux of what he's saying is is if we approach how we address it differently, I think it, you would see some different results. Trying to do the same thing and expecting a different result, you know, is insanity. insanity. So addressing it more from a psychological perspective is what he's getting at, as opposed to a biological one. You know, yeah. people are just encouraged to persist and then it's treated biologically as opposed to treating it psychologically and children is, are making these choices too and some parents are approving it oh yeah. so you know what as young as do? five and six years old yeah. why are we like talking with yeah why are people talking with children about being trained yeah when you see it on the news you're like why are you talking to children about this again yeah and if your son plays with dolls you know because he feels like a girl First of all, that that's that whole notion is problematic. I think if a kid plays with dolls, he should play with dolls. Yeah, that doesn't. We as a culture, sociologically, we've assigned gender to playing with dolls, with toys, and colors. You know? But that isn't. And, and even if your child says, "I I feel like a girl instead of a boy," okay. So I mean, you're supposed to be uh, working with your child through that instead. And I know that it's. A, it, I'm not trying to diminish the process of making this yeah. type of choice. So if I if I have done that, I apologize. Yes, this is a big choice that people are are make are faced with and are making. Um, but why go to that extreme, especially when a percentage of people change their mind afterward? What do you do at that point? Yeah, no, no. And one of the ways that you can see, you know, just outwardly how it's a more psychological issue than a biological one is when you see someone who's trans, they're like more woman than a woman. You're like, women be like, I don't act like that. Like, what are, like, what are they doing? Because it's something inside. It's, it's, it's an something. overcompensation. Yeah, it's an overcompensation for a feeling. And so it's almost, listen, I hate to use this analogy, but please forgive me. It's like when folks try to act black. Right, and they are so extra with it. You'd be like, chill, like Billy. Will you just chill, <laughs> Billy? Will you just chill? Like I don't act like that. No, nah, you know what I'm saying, son. We go be out here all day. It's like, like don't relax. nobody talk like that. Don't nobody talk like that. You know what I'm saying? But it's an overcompensation. So I know I just pissed some of y'all off. I'm sorry, but it was a good example. I'm sorry, it was a good but example. Why was his name Billy? Yeah. <laughs> why did he have to be named Billy? So anyhow, we you know. Chill. I think the the good doctor makes some good points, and again, it's it's a reexamine. So you know, as the reason I bring it up is because as Christians, right? How would a Christian engage that community? There are a lot of people. There are a lot of hurt people. There are a lot of people who have very strong beliefs about that, right? So how do how does a Christian engage that community? Well, I think you can start by realizing it starts internal. It doesn't start external. These things do not start externally. I think a lot of times we make a mistake because we address it or we approach it from an external perspective and not realizing this is an internal perspective 
you know, it's an internal issue first right. that 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 we should uh, that we should address. And so, as Christians who have a, a just like any other issue or thing that we're dealing with, you know, we should be responding with compassion. You know, there's no reason to wear that that um, that uh, any any T-shirt that says "What would Jesus do if you're not going to live your life accordingly?" Right, just and, do it. Yeah, I mean, what would Jesus what do? Would not do? wear a T-shirt that says "What would Jesus?" Do? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's like you know the but the compassion. You know, I mean, I mean, think about something that you are internally struggling with. There's nobody who's a Christian or otherwise who can't say whether they've expressed it to someone or not that they have not struggled with something internally, and and usually it's several things that once and so what is it that you just don't see your ability to overcome like you just don't see a way out right. and, and tap into that you know in in your approach to people who are transgender or whatever you know it is uh because i mean that's part of the way that you express yourself in love and, and walk alongside people you know and, and help them see the love of christ in the midst of that uh otherwise you know be quiet so speaking of the way Christians should do things and the way we don't do things. Why your voice gets so deep when you did that? <laughs> yeah. That's the quiet storm. There it is. <laughs> when I when I start to uh laugh at Christians, my voice get deep, so I gotta start talking like this. No, um is you know, so now we 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 uh we're coming about the deep waters. Let's let's make it light. We we're gonna lighten things up here to to wrap up. This week in the news. This week in the news. This is our nice little segment where we love to uh Whenever y'all hear that sigh, you, you, you know it's not something. It's a good. moment. Yeah, it just means somebody did something. So that'll dumb. just be my thing. When, when, whenever y'all hear that deep sigh, you'll just know. Oh, we begin ready to go there. So for this week in the news, you know, obviously it's that time of the week when Christian does something publicly. That's just foolish. Um, this is not to uncover or embarrass anyone. It's something that was done public. That we, so you've already uncovered it by doing it publicly. So this week, our good friends in the Oval Office, uh, 45, he invited some Christian leaders to the White House. Nothing wrong with that, right? Presidents have done that before. Um, and Christian leaders have prayed for presidents, right? They've done it privately. They've done it publicly. Um, but these Christian leaders... <laughs> These Christian leaders sent out pictures on social media of them praying and, and laying hands on 45. <laughs> you see 45's head bent. It's coming yeah. from the back. Right. You so he's kneeled down. Yeah. Is and there like oil? Is, there, is it oil? I don't see any down? oil. But that, you know, that would have been that would have been fabulous. Oh, there, where was the oil? That's yeah. what I want to know. I wish I would have seen the front here yeah, with the oil running. Yeah. Down. That, that would have been funny. But you so, see hands laying on them. So and of course they're in full, you know, robotayo mode, right? Oh, <laughs> they're in full mode with you know hands laid and they're praying. And again, I got nothing wrong with that. Again, these are things people that you know, if you're listening, remember, done, if done privately. People should be praying for this cat. Like exactly. people need like to be, day. you know, if, if you're listening, you need to be praying for 45. But all I want to know is who was tasked to take photos during prayer yeah. and put it on social media. Was the person and, that, and another thing was the person laying one hand on him and the other hand was, was with, with the with camera. The camera. It, what? Yeah, because the perspective of the shot, like you had to be right there. Yeah. It wasn't like a far away shot from like a camera where you just saw folks praying. It was somebody right there. And then I saw a fancy camera on the other side. I don't know if you looked at the back of the photo. 
um, where basically a person is facing Trump with a, with an official camera. Like the official. So he wasn't problem. praying. He was a he was a photographer. Yeah. But still, why was there a camera there? It, like, what was what what message was was being sent? You well, know? what did what did Jesus say? If you know, if you do something and you put it out there publicly, you've already got your reward, right? right. You, you've you've already gotten your reward. So, again, you know, we've we've beat this to death. Just about you know. Christian leaders, Christian people in, in in particular, just sort of forfeiting, you know, the the kingdom for political position, you know, and having the inside track on 45's administration. I think that we're forfeiting, you know, a lot of our position in the kingdom of God by trying to get on the in crowd, you know, trying to get on the inside and have some inroads with 45. You know, so I'm going to be praying and laying hands, and I'm going to be taking selfies with the president <laughs> while I'm praying and laying hands. It's just like when I'm supposed to be having an intimate moment experience, right? I, if I'm it's prayer, about, if it's prayer, <laughs> but I'm taking pictures instead. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, somebody on social media brought up just a parallel, or maybe a juxtaposition between the evangelical leaders' uh, response to Obama versus Trump. So you have Obama, who actually said he was a Christian, uh, and you know, yeah, you might disagree with a lot of the things, a lot of his policies, but he actually said he was a Christian. So his brothers in Christ, you know, and sisters in Christ, one would think there would have been a lot more photos of them laying hands on him, uh, juxtaposed against forty-five, who you know really hasn't said you know that he's a Christian. Yeah, he went to Catholic school when he was growing up, but you know, you see misappropriated Bible verses being you know two so, Corinthians, you know, is my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, but but then so so the evangelical leader spoke against Obama and I didn't see as much laying on hands, especially not this early in an administration. But then there's 45 who doesn't really proclaim Christ. Um, but they all around him. Right? But they're all around him. And I don't see the same type of. I know this is early on. Uh, yes, it is. But there's still. There's something, there's a demarcate, there's a distinction between the approach toward one president versus the other. Yeah, it's just oh, a little, absolutely. Uh, just puts a bad taste in your mouth. As a, as a believer, it just puts a bad taste in my mouth. So, guys, guys, guys. Cut it out. Cut it out. As Joey Gladstone, <laughs> cut it out. <laughs> wow. A full house reference. Back in You're only going to get there with, 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 with my wife being on hand. That's the only time you're going to find a full house reference. I wonder what happened to him. <laughs> oh, they back live. They're on Netflix doing the, That's the reunion. Wow. Shout out to Netflix. You can sponsor us anytime. <laughs> Netflix, shout out. So anyway, guys, cut it out. Just cut it out. <laughs> Again, if this is done privately, I got no problem. Pray for the president. He needs prayer. We should pray for our leaders. The Bible tells us to pray for our leaders. Pray for those in leadership. So I'm not saying to not pray for 45. Please do not take it that way. Pray for the president of the United States. Yes. Please. Um, just don't take selfies while you're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. So anyway, we thank y'all for rocking with us this week. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you, sir. Um, and like, as we always say, we're going to do our best to keep God in the mix. So we're going to talk about these topics. We're going to bring it. We're going to discuss the culture. But unlike a lot of things you hear, we are not going to push God to the margins. God is going to be in the mix. And like I always say, until they put me in the ground, that's what I'm going to do. So for my lovely wife, for Eve, this is AJ saying thank y'all. And we'll see y'all next time. Peace. 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 For my peoples one time. Let's go.
let's get started, I won't cheat you Let me set apart who is my people The ones who set in their heart to be believers Press on to the mark to follow Jesus When it gets hard, they be seeking the leaders Fathers that help them heal when they are beaten Or help them see the meaning when they're grieving Don't follow their feelings that are being misleading